I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Welcome to Heroes 3, the bi-weekly podcast where three friends explore the best, worst, and everything in between in the world of Asian cinema. And this week is one of, it's probably the most popular movie we've ever talked about, I think. Oh yeah, um, I'd agree. I, I, I think that's, I feel like it's not too, too much yeah, of a stretch adjusted to for inflation, it's like up there <laughs> in the yeah. Yeah, like upper crust of like most successful box office movies yeah. ever, actually. Um, and that is, of course, 1973's Enter the Dragon, of course, uh, directed and starring Bruce Lee. Well, and uh, directed oh. by Robert Klaus. Directed by Robert Klaus. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's one of those. It's also kind of directed by Bruce Lee. Well, yeah, we can get into that a little we'll, bit. We'll get into that. FYI, everyone that's been in this movie has a story about this movie. Yeah. It's nuts to read about. Um, but literally like all of our all of our favorite guys are in this movie in some way shape or form um obviously famously jackie chan is in a scene but also samo's in a scene and you can see you and you in a few scenes we've seen a lot of our our bit kind of actor guys running around in yeah. the scenes. it's nuts i think this is actually a, a good benchmark for you matthew you know when we started this podcast you were like the one that you know, that was coming into this genre. And I feel like we've been doing it for, uh, well, I mean, we're coming up Almost on exactly our five years, five yeah. year anniversary, which is really exciting. But um, you've been, uh, you know, neck deep in all of these films. So I feel like now watching Enter the Dragon, you're probably like, oh, my God, I see this guy or I see this guy. It's mm-hmm. it's really fun to look at the background almost as much as what's happening in the foreground. Dude, totally. What's also, I think, so cool about... Um who we're seeing on screen here, even though it wasn't intended to work this way, it ends up being like this awesome passing of the torch. Um, You know, at this moment, Bruce and everyone around him is thinking like, okay, this is the beginning of a phenomenon. Um, Little did anyone know it's really pretty much the, the end of, of an era that was never to be repeated, but what would follow in Hong Kong would be driven by these guys that are mostly out of focus um, in the frame here. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I think there's something really, really moving about that. I think that's really well put. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're riding this roller coaster of, of Bruce Lee's life. And unfortunately, as everyone knows, uh, he died just shortly before the movie was released. He was able to watch a uh, print of the film. I believe it was uh, a a version of the movie without the score. So he he I mean he definitely knew what was coming, and he was I mean arguably a lot of the the tension and the buildup could have contributed to uh, his death because he was really obsessed with making this a great film, even though he wasn't, um, you know, at the top of the pyramid. This is uh, a joint venture. And this was the first joint venture between uh, the West and the East. So Golden Harvest and Warner Brothers went in on this film together. And I mean, also Bruce Lee with his, you know, his Concord productions. Um, So, 
there was a lot going on. It sort of feels like it's like the feds taking over like a local case or something. Um, Right. But um, what Matthew is saying is pretty true too, where it's like Bruce Lee really wanted to control as much as he could, even though he was basically just, you know, the the star of the film. And even that was in contention. And that was something that he really had to fight to make sure was a thing. Um, but, uh, when it comes to like the fighting in the film, Bruce Lee is really at the director's chair and, uh, Robert Klaus was coming into this kind of, I, I, I feel like from the stories that I've heard, he was like a budget director that they could get to help punch this, uh, film out and just get it out there. But as they were producing the film, they were starting to realize what, what they had in their hands. And it ended up becoming this legendary film that we've seen today. Dude, totally. I think the biggest um, Hollywood name on the poster would have been the lead producer, Fred Weintraub. But you're right. Robert Klaus was not really a household name at this point. And the screenwriter, Michael Allen, this is his first credit, literally. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, and I so it's us. interesting. On the, I think on the one hand, uh, Enter the Dragon is remembered as like, oh, OK, this is when Bruce goes to the big time. But um it might not be the big time Hollywood that you would expect. And really a lot of the talent um, was really drawn more from kind of the television world, which Bruce had had some, you know, connection to and some experience with. And I feel like you, you do get a whiff of that, like rewatching the movie with some distance. um, It's not that far removed from the sensibilities of seventies TV here in America. Yeah. And it's, it's this movie kind of feels like, this huge mash of I mean, a lot of 70s TV mm. is kind of riffing off of 60s movies. So it's totally. like this big mashup of a lot of the biggest movie genres from the early 70s. Like it's a it's a you know, it's a kung fu movie, but it's also a spy movie and it's also a black exploitation movie. Right. There's yeah. there's a bit of like two of the main characters were were war buddies from Vietnam, which is kind of a weird detail. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah, and it's a very international film with, the, you know, it being people from it's supposed to be like a you know fighting tournament with best fighters from across the world also every everyone if you like a video game you should watch <laughs> the inner dragon at some point because every video game rips off enter the dragon yeah it's totally kind of, yeah it really sort of establishes like a mold and almost like a beat by beat um <laughs> i don't know action progression or something like that um i both of you have sort of touched on it a little bit one thing that's interesting, especially about Enter the Dragon when compared to the other Bruce Lee films that we have is, yes, Bruce is ostensibly the lead, but it's not so simple. And uh, I went back and found a couple of TV spots at the time because I was kind of wondering how how it could have been marketed. And the TV spots I found were all really Bruce-centric. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of cool. But um, you get the feeling that we've got... Um, this, we have this John Saxon character and it's like, okay, is he to kind of like appeal to, I don't know, white audiences or something. And then is Jim Kelly's character appealing to black audiences. And it's, is this like some kind of like marketing genius where like, they're going to market like three different movies. And then yeah. when all those audiences show up, hopefully they're, they're all into it. Um, yeah. It's really, uh, it's really interesting. I will say for the most part, I think that the, the three handed storytelling really does kind of work. Um, if you're eager to, to really see tons of Bruce Lee footage, we probably should have given a warning after way of the dragon, which is like, okay, we're, we're well past the halfway mark of like great Bruce 
on film, you know, Bruce film footage. Um, Cause there, there is a portion of this movie where, yeah, dude is in the background for sure. Yeah. I do I agree with what you're saying. I feel like the production company, at least, I mean, from, from the West's point of view, they were really hedging their bets and having three leads and really in a lot of ways taking because there's a lot of James Bond in this film and uh, oh, totally. basically taking what you would get from James Bond and kind of splitting that between the three leads, I think, is a fun way to think about it, because you've got Bruce Lee that does all the sneaking around and you've got John Saxon, who's kind of like he's like the, the kind of like the charmer in a way. And then you've yeah, also got Williams, who who kind of. I mean, he's he's is very fit in his own, but he's almost like the like the sexual side of of James Bond in a way too. And I I think that I get you. It's like it's like the it's like three parts of James Bond. Yeah, split into different yeah, characters. right, right. And I mean, we've got Mister Han, who I mean is really like kind of like a you know Doctor No. So even with the hands, you know Doctor mm-hmm. oh, No shit, has totally. like these robot hands and. Mr. Han has that similar uh, affectation. And um, I think that there's like a template of James Bond here, but Bruce Lee kind of uh, kind of pushed his way into the script writing and tried to make it more of like the kind of Hong Kong centric ideas that he was really successful with in the films that came before this. And um, uh, yeah, that like you said, Matthew, there's so many different stories from the production side and the background side. Uh, Paul Heller and uh, Fred Weintraub were both the producers here. And um, yeah, they, they've, they've got a lot of stories. And one of the things is that they're saying how Bruce Lee was very uh, nervous and anxious at the beginning of this production. And he actually didn't show up to filming for almost two weeks. There was like something like 10 to 12 days where he just wasn't showing up on set. And they were like, "Uh, we got to get this movie going. And (laughs) Warner Brothers was like, hey, what's going on, guys? And Weintraub's like, just kind of feeding them some like, nonsense just to keep him off his tail but uh once bruce lee got in there and they start to get a rhythm for things uh production really got into full swing and um they really started to understand what they had and i mean we also got to mention that this being a uh a hong kong filmed production but from a western hollywood kind of type like you're you're mixing all of these uh, yeah, totally. cultures and you're mixing all of these production styles and that really created some tension on set as well so everybody almost all the extras and everybody there were all from hong kong and um the american crew which was pretty small they're trying to communicate you know what shots need to be done and how this happens and also we're also dealing with this uh you know not a sync sound situation where right, right. they're trying to make everybody communicate with each other and then realizing that this isn't going to be uh captured on microphone it's going to be dubbed after so it sounds when you think about all of that you're like how did this movie even get finished and i think the production for the film was maybe like 10 months it took and they had initially like only a budget of like $250,000 that was like fronted by Ted Ashley who is um coming from Warner Brothers side so um it really is kind of a testament to Bruce Lee and everybody from the Hong Kong sides like I mean just that kind of 
ethics that we've talked about in yeah. uh, all these Hong Kong films that like honestly films they can't be made like they were made back then anymore because the amount of work people put into these movies was unparalleled and that has a lot to do with uh the production of Enter the Dragon to me. Yeah. No, I think you summed so much of um so much of the production up so well. It's interesting. It's like it's, it's simplifying things a little bit, but essentially it's like um Raymond Chow and Golden Harvest and his credit is kind of interesting. It's like it's like special th- it's not special thanks, but oh, yeah. it's a little bit diminishing, I feel right. like, um, uh, for, for Raymond Chow. But so it's like they're basically supplying so much of the like on-screen talent and like stunt pool and all of that. But then the, it's almost like the people that have the keys don't really know how to work with that pool of talent. And so... Mm-hmm. It, in many ways, it's a miracle we 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 have the movie that we do, and yeah. um, it also I think makes me kind of look forward in time and think about an era when that sort of switches when it's like oh okay, what if you have some amount of Western talent that's in the acting pool, but like this Hong Kong crew on the other side of the camera, um, but you know it's what's going on in enter the dragon. It's never really been repeated again successfully quite this way. You know, we've talked a little bit about the protector, which years later um, was Jackie's initial attempt to kind of break into the West. Right. And you see that they're trying to kind of just follow the enter the dragon playbook. It's also directed by Robert Klaus. Um, but it was also <laughs> plagued with a lot of those same um, conflicts and ultimately is not really considered a, you know, a successful film. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's funny how many of our favorite movies have these weird kind of like legendary conflicts and kind of, yeah, difficult, um, difficult circumstances behind the scenes. And, um, when that can all lead to something great, um, yeah, I don't know. Then the movie itself kind of becomes a legend, like you guys are saying. Yeah. Um, one other thing I wanted to say, too, is that um, I believe it was Five Fingers of Death was released in like March of 73 in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So that kind of like greased the wheels for uh, Enter the Dragon, which I believe was released in August. And um, so there was also that. And, and actually, when Enter the Dragon was released in Hong Kong, it ended up not doing as well as... The Way of the Dragon. And I think uh, that might have to do with um, like what I was talking about before, where it's like Bruce really kind of had to force in a more Hong Kong centric plot, kind of a a revenge plot using Angela Mao's character as his sister, because originally he was basically uh, a spy that's kind of hired by the British government. It's it's kind of vague. You don't really understand. But the character that recruits him is a very british character and i mean you can see how the hong kong audience would be like well why is he working for the british you know they're they're our enemy basically so um (laughs) i i don't know if that's i mean i think that does really have to do with it but i mean regardless it was still very successful when it came out yeah. But it didn't kind of increase that trajectory. So it is interesting to think about. And we're going to definitely get into like theory about what it would have been like if he had 
uh, not died just before the movie. But um, it, it's interesting to think about where Bruce's career would have gone after. I mean, he definitely would have made a break in Hollywood. Um, but I don't think we would have seen. And I mean, actually, that I mean, that was his aim. Also, he wanted yeah. to really become the star in Hollywood, and then he did achieve it. I mean, posthumously with this film. Um, right. I, I mean, it's I, almost unbelievable. It's like it's like a day less than a month after. Yeah, his de- I could have said that a better way, but like, <laughs> um, because I I think Bruce died on July twentieth, and the movie opens August nineteenth. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, like you said, not quite hitting the box office heights in Hong Kong as, um, of the previous film, but in the West and else in other markets internationally, this was a huge success. And, um, I apparently adjusted for like 2022 in inflation dollars. It's like, it earned like just over 2 billion, um, at at the box office globally. So that's, I mean, that's incredible um i feel like if you were to tell someone that it's like okay this is a two billion dollar earning movie and you don't give them any other context and they jump into it i'm guessing they're going to be pretty surprised by you know production yeah. value and like what's going on yeah because it does feel like it's you know it's as a decent budget of like compared to the the previous three films right. we've talked about but it definitely is it's still very on the ground very like scrappy kind of production yeah. Um, using yeah. lots of lots of outdoor set, but there's just so many more people mm-hmm. in it than there That's are. That's a really in, good point, es- yeah. especially in Way of the Dragon. Way of the Dragon has like you know, yeah, has like ten people in the whole movie, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, and, and we're mostly in a restaurant, and and they're in mostly a hotel, in a restaurant yeah. or in a, a set that's a back alley. Um, mm-hmm. With with the obviously the a couple of famous exceptions, but but this right. movie has s- really some pretty cool sets with like dozens of people, if, if not over a hundred people in shots, like with with the big, you know, all the people surrounding the kind of the tournament. Yeah, there's yeah. some and- funny stories about the extras because in the Hong Kong way, I mean, we've seen it plenty of times in the movies that we've talked about. You'll see an extra like totally get killed, and then two scenes later, you'll see that extra again. So uh, <laughs> the 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 Hollywood side of the production, they were like begging these extras, please come back tomorrow because extras would show up on one day and they just wouldn't show up. So there'd be all these oh, continuity <laughs> errors, and they're like, please, please, just show up tomorrow so we can keep you in this shot, and they just wouldn't show up. <laughs> yeah, that's it's it's funny that even you know that seventy three. Mm-hmm. Hollywood's very, you know, it's still kind of the old Hollywood kind of system. It's very, very unionized, lots of, you know, strict rules and, and things that need to go. And then Hong Kong is just whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Very, yeah. very loosey goosey fly by night. Well, you have to imagine the Hong Kong crew too, is it's like, how swayed would you be by some of these like Hollywood, you know, quote unquote rules? It's like, nope, we need to have continuity across shots. And they could easily be thinking it's like, okay, this movie did really well. This movie did really well. This movie did mm-hmm. really well over here. And we never thought about that. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's Conta, what did he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you can imagine that it's not only kind of culture clashes or language clashes or whatever, but really um, like, I don't know, best work, like best practices or whatever um, for filmmaking. It's like they're, very different points of view at this at this point in history it's yeah super interesting 
So I guess I'll I'll push us uh, towards talking about the the, the actual the plot itself. of the movie. But there's yeah. a couple of things I just wanted to mention before too. And um, so I I don't think we've mentioned Lalo Schifrin yet, but uh, Lalo Schifrin does the score for this, and also one of these legendary film scores. Yeah, amazing. And um, yeah. So Bruce Lee actually approached him personally because uh, according to Lalo, uh. Bruce actually would listen to the Mission Impossible theme like while he'd work out sometimes and Lalo Schifrin was like sure I'll do it and that's like all he really had to do was just ask him <laughs> which is pretty great to think about that's so um, and the other thing is I feel like the the poster for Enter the Dragon that most people see is like super iconic and I mean me I'm a very visual person so um uh, Bob Peake is the artist for that film poster, and he's kind of like the the godfather of like the modern movie poster. He's done. Yeah. He did all the Star Trek film posters. He did um, Apocalypse Now's like the poster with like Marlon Brando's head on it. He did the original poster for My Fair Lady. Like he he's amazing. And I mean, yeah. I I think for for you guys. I think of like Drew Struzan, like that's done, you know, Indiana Jones and all the Star Wars stuff. Like he yeah, sits like John Alvin. Right. Yeah, he sits like, right up yeah, there totally. with me uh, for when it comes oh, to like sure. movie posters. And it's right. really cool. I have a giant. Actually, my dad years ago, my dad got me like a huge oversized poster of enter the dragon and it's too big i don't have anywhere to put it oh, <laughs> so i have it in my basement yeah. oh that's so cool yeah and we hinted i think at the last episode that i mean this poster itself is is iconic and it, oh, yeah. it sort of feels like even if somehow the movie weren't preserved i feel like this that yeah. image is gonna kind of live on mm -hmm. forever totally that's yeah that's um i'm glad you mentioned that because that's the I knew some Bob, like I knew the the Star Trek posters. Cause I love those those yeah. original series movies, um, and they have amazing posters. And that the My Fair Lady poster is amazing. Oh, like it's it's yeah, it's, totally. it's way it's almost too good for what the movie. Like it's a good movie. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but it's <laughs> like it's such a good poster, dude. Yeah, like it, it, like it looks almost like a weird like graphic novel or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no. and super like bold colored choice yep. yeah. and it's like yeah it's sort of dreamy and yeah it's mm -hmm. just great all right well i guess we should probably talk about the, the actual movie <laughs> let's do it um but first let's take a look at the back of the vhs crossing the raging waves of the china sea three heroes arrive on a mysterious island the renegade shaolin monk han has gathered the world's strongest martial artists to compete in a life or death competition what's your style you can call it the art of fighting without fighting. Roper, a man trying to outrun his debts. Always first class. Same old Roper. Williams, his style unorthodox. But effective. And Lee, revenge-seeking monk and martial arts master. When the opponent expands, I contract. When he contracts, I expand. And when there is an opportunity, I do not hit. It hits all by itself. These men will taste blood and steel as they meet their fate on Hans Island. The first international martial arts film production. East meets West, and the world meets the legend. Bruce Lee stars in Enter the Dragon. So the movie itself has it has a pretty like the the basic storyline is pretty simple of you know Bruce Lee. All of the characters are just last names, so he's just Lee. Uh, Bruce Lee's character is like supposed to infiltrate this like underground martial arts tournament um, because they're doing 
something it's kind of vague about what what he's actually trying to get but they are they're doing drugs and like you know illegal prostitution and, and stuff like that like you know bad bad stuff right but it's just this uh it, it, and then everyone like has their own backstories and stuff the the first hour of the movie is basically like people having flashbacks about where they <laughs> no, where they've point. come from and that's where we can see that that bruce lee is like a his sister was also like this incredible martial artist who who was killed and he's got to get revenge in addition to all this other stuff but it's all kind of a big setup for just these amazing uh action set pieces Totally. To get later in the movie yeah and we're given a pretty significant action sequence right at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. um you see uh bruce fighting an opponent in front of some uh they look buddhist and actually i i wanted to talk about this a bit as we go through the movie but this being a hong kong production but also like a western production you get this kind of like asian fruit salad <laughs> of different cultural <laughs> sure, sure. like yeah. stuff like sprinkled through this movie and yeah. you see this right at the beginning and um what you find out though is that Bruce is one of the Shaolin and um yeah pretty quickly after this fight so um uh there's an agent who we come to know as Braithwaite he recruits him but in this fight we're going to see one of our first recognizable faces and that's Samo Hong and yeah um, I I haven't watched this movie since before we started the the podcast. Oh, really? And I don't and I don't know if I had I don't know if whenever I watched it originally, even though I knew who Samo was, I'm not sure if I recognize it as Samo. But yeah, it's a it's a very young Samo and his hair It is, is a very young Samo, yeah. It's not you know kind of how we're used to seeing it. But dude, what a piece of history here. Yeah, that's yeah. great. That we actually in the small amount of Bruce films that exist that we can actually have a fight between Bruce and Samo on screen. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's amazing. And then I'm sure we'll get into this, but um, I, I know that Yun Hua is, is, you know, known to famously double Bruce in the film, but I've also read stories about Yun Bu doubling Bruce, even, even here in this oh. film. And I don't know, to me that, that shot where Bruce's, characters back to the camera and then he he does you know, like he, a kick falls up into that kick up I, I don't know you're gonna have to persuade <laughs> me it's not you and Bu. it's 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 very buish and i, I um, like that yeah. i like that yeah but yeah more more famously everyone knows that yun wa is doing the yeah. flips and uh you know all the acrobatics for bruce i believe even when he's like sneaking around climbing up a wall later on yeah that's yeah we've got so we've got a few of our seven world of fortunes here um, yeah so yeah samo and uh and as we mentioned you know jackie is around yun Bu is around yun Hua is really critical um yeah it's kinda, it's almost like the entire peking opera troupe in hong kong was just like yep un- unloaded it's so cool uh, hollywood yeah. crew yeah, it's so cool that they all were able to contribute to this film that's so, I mean, it's basically in pop culture zeitgeist. Um, and these two scenes, so this scene is followed by a very philosophical side of Bruce Lee's scene. And um, these were actually not in the original uh, cut. Like, the, the the original version of the film didn't have these at the beginning. And actually, these are some of the last uh, um, scenes that Bruce actually uh, filmed before uh, during production so yeah. um now you ga- have some other films that try to 
take scant amount of um, material and and make it into a full movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, uh, so Game of Death 2 uses some of that scene as well. Um, Right, right. Then we see uh, Lee speaking with the abbot, who's played by Roy Chow. And um, I think... Always good to see him again. Yeah, last time we saw him was, what, uh, Dragons Forever, maybe? But... um, Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, Bruce is getting to espouse some of the... um, martial philosophy that uh, i think these are some of the most quotable bruce lee totally in in film quotes <laughs> a good fight should be like a small play but played seriously a good martial artist does not become tense but ready not thinking yet not dreaming ready for whatever may come when the opponent expand, I contract. When he contracts, I expand. And when there is an opportunity, I do not hit. It hits all by itself. But it's really cool to see this side of uh, Bruce Lee. And um, everybody talks about Bruce Lee, the philosopher. And um, one of the things I think is pretty interesting is that in Matthew Pauly's book, which I'm che- name checking again, but um uh he says that really bruce only took like two philosophy classes when he was going to school (laughs) in uh university of uh washington but i think it's something that bruce was really interested in and he read a lot so even if maybe academically he didn't have those credentials behind him he still was really a philosopher at heart and um it's cool to see that here so braithwaite what do you guys think about this guy <laughs> i don't know he's like the most comically british person <laughs> it's great in that's the perfect universe. Yep, he's having tea and he's yeah very proper <laughs> yeah yeah i love it he's big like big like uh, british colonizer kind of yeah kind of and it's really solidifying that james bond pastiche here um, yeah yeah so um and he's he's played by an actor named jeffrey weeks who is he was like a he was a guy in a lot of like hong kong he was a big like british guy in hong kong um and he also died actually not long uh before yeah uh, or not long after the movie came out yeah it was maybe only a handful of weeks after it came out i i had seen somewhere that he was actually um uh, working in radio in hong kong and um some other credits too but yeah if you look at like I mean, something like IMDb or HKMDB um, pretty much is just this that he's credited with. Um, so then you get your title uh, sequence and uh, uh, we get to hear that Enter the Dragon theme. Yes. And that's obviously that's the uh, what I uh, my my little chip toony thing is. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yep, totally. We've been and, building up to and, it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's such a good theme song. Yeah. Just so great. <laughs> beyond classic um and of course we you know we get to see like all the uh jim kelly and john saxon right yeah that's right um the like just like walking around hong kong trying to kind of find their way around it's funny the the shots like the shot you know the shots aren't bad but they're definitely amplified by that 
ridiculous theme song. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. There's something I always love about seeing a 747 flying over Hong Kong. It's just Mm -hmm. one of the coolest things ever. That's one of the great, like, flyover, um, plane flyover shots, I think. Yeah, Yeah, and um, one of the things I found out about some of these establishing shots is that there was, like, a deleted kind of sequence where uh, Mr. Han, he has his, like, kind of women that he uses and um there were there were scenes where they were driving around on motorcycles basically passing out invitations to the tournament and that ended up being cut from the film but you can see little glimpses of that in the establishing shots so if you look you'll see like these women on like motorcycles with like yellow outfits those are like supposed to be han's uh like his like royal guard basically so yeah then we get the the mission briefing with braithwaite and it's it basically like what you expect black and white footage this is our enemy and this is what you need to do but i think the kind of lasting thing is you get to see bruce lee acting and uh there's a charm to him that we've already been introduced to but seeing him in this framing of a like a western film you can totally tell like man this dude was gonna be a huge star he is Mm -hmm. very comfortable in this situation dude well said yeah yeah i think that might be what stands out for me the most about enter the dragon i feel like it's the best channeling of bruce as act as like protagonist actor um and yeah i've got to say that i think that's you know of course partially you know to be credited to Bruce, but I think it, I don't know. I do think that um, this production has a really clear point of view on how to kind of depict Bruce as a, as a hero of a film. And we have some pretty strong glimpses here and there in some of the other films, uh, especially Fist of Fury. But Mm. yeah, no, I mean, I think Bruce um, fits extremely comfortably into this, this leading man part here in Enter the Dragon. I think it's really funny too. There's like three moments in this scene where Braithwaite's like, Hey, you sure you don't want a drink? He like tries yeah. to get him to drink like <laughs> right. three or four times. He's like, All right. <laughs> I love that. I do like has one of my favorite Bruce lines in this where he just basically says, Guns. Now why doesn't somebody pull off forty five and bang, settle it? No. No guns. And, yeah. and like, that's why not just shoot him? Yeah, it's also a great explanation too, where it's like, well, Mr. Han had a he had a problem with a gun and he doesn't like guns. <laughs> like that's it. That's but I mean it develops into a thing that that you you understand why he only has one hand. But that's really it's a contrivance, really. But I I mean, I feel like Bruce Lee was very uh preoccupied with having a modern film like martial arts a modern martial arts film being like well everybody has guns now like you could just right, shoot right. each other um that was one of the things why he was developing that warrior because it was set in the you know like out in the frontier or something where it was like guns weren't as readily available to everyone but yeah, totally isn't it so funny to think that um for bruce and others involved in this film they felt like uh-oh um, we're just about endangered here. There's no future for martial arts movies because everyone's used to guns. And like, yeah. little did they know, we'd have another couple decades of arguably some of the best martial arts films ever. Yeah. And this like revival of period martial arts uh, cinema in Hong Kong. It's 
yeah, you, I mean, it's kind of an interesting reminder. Like you can never exactly predict, even if like the trends are, you know, super suggestive, um, you can't predict, you know, what turns like culture is going to make. One of the things I like that Matthew does is he always likes to bring up gun shaming. <laughs> There's like, so much gun shaming. In these movies. It's something it really I, I never stop to consider that in Kung Fu mm-hmm. movies, but you're totally right, dude. I love that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So well, because I mean, hey, that's again, that's the, 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 diff, the changing of, of kind of, you know, uh, how action movies are in the West because what like action movies as we know them don't really exist until the 70s mm-hmm. in, in america and like what were the biggest the thing that was closest to an action movie was westerns, westerns. and guns right. guns are how like you know people throw punches and you know uh and bigger it? like horse stunts and things yeah there's but, like yeah. horse stunts and like chase scenes and stuff but like the way everyone solves their problems is, is by shooting them and totally. you know that's kind of the, the philosophy of the gun is is very different um, and I think this movie really is part of the reason why, you know, there's there's a little more hand to hand kind of stuff in, in future uh, yeah. films in Hollywood. Because yep. like you said, this movie made two billion dollars or <laughs> right. the equivalent of two billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. So. so now this moves us into basically setting up the flashbacks, the motivations yeah. uh, outside of what we've seen so far for all our main heroes and we get to see Angela Mao, who we haven't yes. seen in a long time. And have I, we watched any other movie with her besides Broken Oath? Um, as far as I know, we've only seen her in Broken Oath on right. the podcast. We should we should try to fix that at some point. Oh she's yeah, incredible. for sure. Yep. And and she was kind of credited on a lot of times as the the female Bruce Lee. So yeah. it seems appropriate that she's kind of playing his this sister character. Yep. And I mean, just before this, she would have already starred in a couple of notable films hapkido and lady whirlwind or i think 71 or 72 um so um she was already pretty established and she had an upward trajectory but yeah getting to see her kick ass here is really fun and actually this is like a little shanty town that actually was uh just down from the golden harvest studios so it's not that far off from where they um would be filming like the studio sets and actually i think in um i think it was in twinkle twinkle lucky stars where we've got the scene where richard norton and jackie are running through these shanties i think this is like similar area as uh what we're seeing in this movie right here but we also get to see a bunch of recognizable hong kong actors so wilson tong who I think we saw in uh, 36 Chambers Shaolin, but he's been in a bunch of stuff. Uh, he's here. Uh, tai Po, who is kind of like the turncoat uh, cop in Police Story, he's here. Yeah. And um, I mean, obviously, Bob, uh, Bob Wall as O'Hara. This is where you really get to see his uh, dark side that kind of positions him as an enemy in the movie. Yeah, because that's their... They're like chasing her down, um, and she's she's fighting them off a lot, but she eventually gets cornered, yeah, and and then 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 stabs herself before they can do anything to her. Yep, yeah, Peter um, Peter Chan's powerful. also here, and I mean Peter Chan's yeah. one of the actors we'd seen in these other Bruce Lee films, but uh, there's only a couple of those recurring actors. He's one of them in this. Yeah, yeah, Cal An- Angela's so good in this part, and really, um, as brief as this sequence is, it does so much. Really, it, it kind of drives lee's motivation kind of for the whole for the whole film but oh it does it does leave you wanting a lot more angela so mm-hmm. yeah. um yeah have broken oath in the queue ready i think af- after after you watch into the dragon mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there should be. Well, I mean, we've gotten all these really great Blu-ray like upscales, and um, we should get some Angela Mao. Like Eureka or Eighty Eight Film should really get some of these films out, man. Yeah, right. Um, the other save thing... him from the from the Hong Kong dumpster they were probably thrown into. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to mention is that Lalo scoring for this whole scene is super good. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's so great. there's another fun production story that I heard, and it was Fred Weintraub was talking about them scouting for this shot. And if you see, there's a large part of the chase that's shot from high overhead, and they were scouting the shot, and they had some of the stuntmen up on the rooftop, and they were discussing about the shooting down below and they said that they needed a stuntman to jump into the river and uh what happened is like all the stuntmen like took like a couple steps back and they were like they looked like they were afraid but then one of the stuntmen walked forward and said okay i'll do it but he also said i don't know how i'm gonna get to the river from up here on the roof and Weintraub was like, holy shit, this guy thought we wanted him to jump from this rooftop up here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we wanted you to jump from down there, dude. <laughs> yeah. But the fact that uh, dude, he that's, was willing that's to do it. just the most perfect story to show, just like the, yeah. I don't know, heart of the tiger or whatever. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 Really, really cool. Like, I just, it's, it's, such, a, it's such a short stunt. But the stunt from Millionaire's Express where you and you just walks off of a building and oh, falls to the ground yeah. is still yeah. one of the most insane yeah. stunts I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, and I think about that anytime I, I, I see anything relating to that. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, it's the kind of stuff that, the, that they do in Hong Kong. And honestly, it's probably good that people don't do stunts <laughs> like that anymore <laughs> right, like right. for their own well-being. Like, yeah. <laughs> so we get next get to, because this is, Kind of the setup is we see people on these like boats being like ferried over to the to the island where the tournament is, and then it kind of wanes were over to <laughs> right. their, yep. over to their flashbacks. Although I love that the Bruce Lee's flashback is like a flashback and then another flashback within that flashback. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's perfect. Um, <laughs> uh, but the next one we get to see is John Saxon, and he's like this chronic gambling addict and his his flashback is it's funny it's him on a golf course and uh, we get to briefly see his like assistant who's uh, played by an actress named marlene clark who is she's kind of just like a, a working actress in a lot of ram stuff in the 70s like she was on sanford and son for a little bit she was on like a weird horror movie called ganja and hess that i wanted to seek out because it seemed really interesting but oh, man, i good find i uh i wasn't able to to, to track it down to find it 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 seems I don't know this for sure, but it just feels like an Alex Hawking movie. Oh, nice. <laughs> like it feels like a movie that that friend of the show oh, Alex Hawking from Swim fans would, <laughs> would have seen at some point. I don't know why, but but yeah, and yeah, we he he's like this like we'll make a bet on everything and uh in 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 deep trouble and is yeah going to this tournament to basically make money to to pay off his debts. Eventually, that stuff catches up with you, and yeah, he is the. The cookie cutter template for Johnny Cage in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> right, right. And speaking of templates for people in fighting games, um, yeah. Obviously, Bruce Lee is the most is the most ripped off, probably human being into video game characters. 
But I would say Jim Kelly in this movie, there's a lot of video game characters that owe a lot to Oh dude, totally. To Cuz like black exploitation heroes in general, but Jim Kelly specifically has such a distinct look in this with like those the sideburns and the afro and stuff. Oh man, he's killing it. It's like the best afro ever. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's so good. He has such a good look for this. Yeah, and he's got this like yeah, very black exploitation, which yeah. is like a right around this time as well, I believe. The mm-hmm. early seventies oh, yeah. is like seventy one or seventy. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, really, there's a lot that I think is like you're saying, Matthew. That's really influential about it. It's not so much that the black exploitation movement and the like incredible cross pollination we've talked about of like chopsaki films in black communities, like. Mm-hmm. I think at this point in time, like that's not extremely well established. So it's like there, there is a lot that I think is really kind of bold and exciting about, um, about Jim Kelly in this movie. And And you're totally right. It's like, it's influenced countless amount of other Mm. projects. And I love that his, his flashback is basically just a scene from a black exploitation. Yeah. Where (laughs) he's at like this, this like all black kind of like black Panthers kind of style, like karate dojo. And then when he has his passport and then he gets stopped by these two white cops and then he beats them up and, and steals their car. He steals their cop car. It's great. Ah, oh, it's so good. Yep. Um, the both of these flashbacks for Roper and Williams were filmed in LA and uh Bob Wall handled the fight choreography for these scenes. Gotcha. Dude, that's a great detail. Now that we have these flashbacks established and their motivations, uh, we see everybody meet up and they're uh, boarding a junk. And uh, yeah, uh, Roper has like 10,000 pieces of luggage for his trip. Um, But (laughs) one of the things I do really enjoy is the chemistry between Roper and Williams. And it's it's something that I I wish there was more of in the movie because they're both really good at, I mean, I'm... they're good at delivering you feel like those they're lines, buddies. but yeah. yeah, you you really do understand the 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 camaraderie between the two guys. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is whenever he drops the line that they like were they were served in Vietnam together, and I like that they talk about Vietnam like it was high school. Yeah, they're like oh man, what you been doing since Nam? <laughs> yeah. Uh. Bruce Lee, uh, who wasn't qualified for the draft, did you guys know that? I did not oh, know because he was because he was Chinese. Or... No, that's not why. It's because mm. he had one undescended testicle. <laughs> really? Yeah, oh, yeah. Dude. So they he look w- real close at you. Huh? <laughs> 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 yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't fit dude, to that's serve. How? Yeah. What? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like, but it's also crazy to think about if he had been drafted because, I mean, he was a U.S. Also, citizen. you wonder what the reason that he gave because he, he definitely made up some story why <laughs> why he didn't get drafted. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually an issue that he kind of struggled with uh, not having that. Und- and I guess a lot of men that ha- deal with that kind of have like masculinity issues. And you could almost mm-hmm. like kind of argue sure. that might have driven Bruce Lee to be more of a man because of wow, dealing with like that. It's like a chip on your shoulder kind of. Yeah. 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 He eventually mm-hmm. got surgery to remedy that, but it was like, yeah. And and also like worried about not being able to have a kid. And I mean, he yeah. had two kids, but yeah, um, yeah. it's a little huh. Bruce Lee trivia for you. <laughs> huh? That is, you know, 
<laughs> I feel like y'all, you, you learn something new about Bruce Lee every time we do these episodes. Yeah, you, yeah. you think you know everything, and then yeah, you, yeah. you find that out. Huh. <laughs> but get the, even more personal, I guess. <laughs> yep. Yeah. There's some fun antics on the boat on their way to Hans Island. So there's a, a character here named Parsons, and he's played by Peter Archer. And they say he's like a New Zealander, and he's he's basically just being a bully to the guys on the boat. And uh, you get another kind of pretty legendary scene too, where he's challenging uh, Bruce Lee. He's challenging challenging Lee, and Lee's like, "Hold on, man! Like, do you want to fight? There's no there's no room here. If you want to fight, we can go to this island." Uh, we'll hop down on this boat, and yeah, uh, we this can. Is great. And he, he totally tricks him. Uh, but the 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 line the art of fighting without fighting is yes so, yeah, that's what so I was cool. gonna I was gonna say that's that's another one of those iconic yeah. uh, lines. What's your style? My style? You can call it the art of fighting without fighting. Of, yeah. of the many iconic lines Bruce Lee says in it, the art of fighting without fighting is definitely a big one. Yep, and actually he ends up handing the rope to a young boy on the mm-hmm. boat, kind of like one of the people that um uh. Parsons was bullying. That's actually Meng Hoi, who um, we've seen in a oh, bunch really? of movies. Yeah. And yeah. I think for us, memorably in Yes, Madam, I think he was mm. aspirin. Remember their names were all. Yeah, we're all like <laughs> yeah. medicines. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that's him looking like a little kid. <laughs> huh. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Well, it's, like, like I said before, there's, there's scenes where you see dozens of people on screen and almost all of them have. At the very least, an HKMDB article and are in like 20 movies. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. yeah, they show up on the island and we get to see, we get to see Bolo. And this is probably, yeah, I mean, probably his, uh, that and Bloodsport, where he basically plays the same character. Yeah. Um, that's like the most people would know him from, from this. Dude's like ripping out of huge... that sweater, man. Why do they put a sweater on him <laughs> if it's just going to get destroyed? <laughs> That's probably why they put it on. <laughs> yeah. This is an area called uh, Tai Tam Bay, and it's just like in Hong Kong area. So you also get to see like the training grounds where Mr. Han has all yeah. of his men who I mean, also like this kind of asian fruit salad. They're all wearing karate geese. <laughs> which yeah, is, like, I noticed that. Which weird. Like, yeah, like I don't think it's specifically karate, but yeah. they're all very karate looking. But I think um, this is also like I this mean, is like the like yeah, the Hollywood crew is yeah has final say, and I'm sure there are arguments, but mm-hmm. um, but it's just interesting yeah. this kind of yeah mixture of cultures how it it would inform like Mortal Kombat is all of this you know and, oh yeah a thousand and, right, but right. it's also like a blood sport is also this too where you get mm-hmm. all of these different phrases like these are different culture phrases that are all like in the mix uh kumite and all you know mm-hmm. being like the Kowloon walled city all of that stuff is all this mixed up nonsense that in in America, unfortunately, you'd be like, yeah, it's Asian stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all Asian yeah, yeah. stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's like a it's like a menu at an Asian restaurant where yeah. it's like, oh, it's Chinese food next to Japanese food next to Thai food. Yeah, right, right. It's it's like just this big kind of kind of a Asian fusion of yeah, Asian fusion. Yeah, yeah. yeah this this is this is Asian fusion. But as you see all of Hans Men's training, uh, if you're looking, you'll notice like some lines on the ground. And the reason that you see those lines is because those are actually tennis courts. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so they, All that they rules. picked a really nice location because those are some really fancy tennis courts. But yeah, I was gonna say this. That's a really nice tennis court. Yeah. <laughs> like they, they dolled yeah, them up with uh, banners and uh, you know lion statues, but. Um, all the walls and everything, the steps and all the architecture, those were really there. So it's pretty cool to see that. That's quite a that's quite a tennis court. Yep. And if you like the Asian fusion, you're gonna get more of it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They go into this like oh my gosh, I don't yeah, even know what to yeah. describe this place. It's like there's like people, there's like a Chinese opera mixed with people doing sumo wrestling in the middle, and there's like bird cages everywhere. It's wild yeah. looking. And, and ostensibly a, a brothel. Yeah, and also kind you of a brothel. Tell right away. Yeah. The ladies everywhere. That's oh, one character you didn't mention is, um, I forgot what her name, the character's name, but Anna, Anna Capri, Capri. Yep. Is, the, is the actress. Um, and she's kind of like the madam of, of all these, these ladies here. Um, and she's got some dynamite outfits in this too. Yeah, she oh, looks totally. great. But yeah, and that's yeah, the, they're like enjoying themselves, having like with all these, like you said, Asian fusion. That's a good way to describe it. Yeah, there's like lion um, dance and sumo yeah. and yeah, all of this crazy yeah. stuff. And I gotta love it because whenever it's showing the close-ups of, um, of of the of our our different heroes around, they're all kind of like, what is going on? Yeah, right. right. <laughs> And that kind of tells you, like, the the point of view, too, where, um, you know, Lee is our lead character, but it's kind of equally shared between the other two. Mm-hmm. And you get a moment where you see uh, Williams looking at some food like, oh, I'm not eating that, yeah. you know, or, you know, it's yeah. like this, yeah. this stuff's crazy. This all this culture stuff is so crazy. So I feel like yeah. that's like the American point of view from the film. Yeah. And uh, it's is so funny to me because, like, I don't know like even authentic chinese food is it's a lot of chicken pork and rice like mm-hmm. it's not that crazy of of, of food <laughs> but when remember, you see I like heard... chicken feet you know yeah it's true that's true i guess i don't know i guess i feel like like chitlins isn't that much weirder than chicken feet yeah like, that's a thing in yeah. america yep anyways um <laughs> that's a different thing we because we now we get to we get to see the 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 kind of the boss of the movie han right with his army of women and this um, is and this is great. great fake hand. Yeah, this is uh, Sek Kin, who um, I feel like, uh, again, the last time we probably saw him on the podcast, or maybe the only other time, was Millionaire's Express, because he has a short cameo in that, yeah. along with uh, oh, along with everybody else, else. Besides Jackie Chan. <laughs> yeah. But he would have been notable seeing him as the villain in this film, because uh, Hong Kong audiences would be, would recognize him as basically the villain to Wong Fei Hong. So anytime uh you'd see one of these classic Quan Taking films, uh many times you'd see Sekin play the villain here. So yeah. um so Bruce Lee having uh, Sekin play the villain here is kind of a wink and nod to Hong Kong audiences kind of being like, hey, you know, I'm I'm the new <laughs> Wong <laughs> Fei Hong, you know, like you know, yeah. I'm the, I'm your new hero. Um and the other thing that's pretty cool to see and if you if you watch him deliver his lines you can see him mouthing in english but he didn't know english so he learned all of his lines phonetically and then huh. uh after you know afterwards they dubbed him over like they dubbed everybody else mm-hmm. it's really convincing i think the yeah final, final product i think it looks really good and actually what i also found out was that um he's dubbed by key luke who uh in the west i mean for me I he's like the old man in Gremlins that gives oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh but he he had a lot of roles in uh 
in the West. And I mean, in the time of where they're these more stereotypical, I think Charlie Chan's uh, first son he played. And mm-hmm. actually, Bruce Lee was working on uh, Charlie Chan's like number one son, which was something that never ended up happening. But um, mm-hmm. there's kind of parallel there. He also voiced the uh, Brack in the original Space Ghost cartoon. What amazing! Oh, dude, amazing. yeah. That's oh, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah. So yeah, now now we have uh, this the scene where the um, Anna Capri comes in and basically is like, "Hey, here's some ladies. Choose which lady you want." And, <laughs> and of course, and of course, uh, Jim Kelly chooses like five of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, got to get that the exploitation you know super sexualized whatever and i i like that uh bruce lee basically chooses like the he's because he's trying to find like this undercover agent and so right he's he's able to get the the lady just for for that um the lady that who, who had like a demonstration throwing this dart at like a like a tomato or something like that yeah um, apples they're apples they're apples okay like yeah, or so, something red. Those <laughs> yeah, actually, Yoon Wah is one of the guys that catches one of those apples. Hmm. I mean, we could. I mean, every scene, I could just be like, "Oh, that's this guy. That's this guy. That's this guy." But <laughs> right. seeing yeah. Yoon Wah so young is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I heard, um, and uh, I believe I shared a version that has that Paul Heller commentary track with you guys, which is actually like, it's not a very good commentary (laughs) in my opinion. Like half the time is just quiet. It sounds like somebody like pokes him and then he says something. He has some (laughs) like insight and he has some kind things to say, but it's not incredibly informative. But um, he says that uh, this scene with Bruce and with the ladies coming in was like basically like the first scene that he shot after he was kind of, having difficulties behind the scenes and uh he said that bruce lee was really nervous and they it took him like 20 something takes before they got a good take because he was like trembling almost which is weird but i I mean kind of gives you perspective on how much pressure bruce was putting on himself to uh, make this film really good that is interesting it's like he's not showing up he's not showing up uh what's the scene tomorrow oh we is with tons of girls in a brothel yeah, and he does show no. I'm just but, um, <laughs> like, uh, I guess I guess I'll I guess I'll go to that one. But that is that is like we've I don't know we've kind of sussed that kind of thing out, which is like, mm-hmm. is Bruce actually really comfortable with like being seen as this like romantic leading man? Because um, mm-hmm. when he's calling the shots a little bit more in his films, that's usually not a not such a strong element. Well, in that, uh, I I think it's in the Pierre Burton interview. It's in one of his uh, popular interviews. They question him about that because of the, you know, in the big boss, he has this sex scene. Bruce, I mean, he's playing to the camera, but he's like... The big boss does show some very explicit sex scenes, doesn't it? What's your reaction to being in bed with a lovely young movie star in front of the whole studio crew? Does it uh, intimidate you? Does it worry you at all? It certainly would not intimidate me, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, it's all right, as long as the script justifies it. So, um, I mean, and all the exploits that you hear about Bruce behind the scenes kind of lead you to believe that that wasn't something he had a problem with. <laughs> but, but, I mean, yeah, here right. we see him as a, he's he's playing a Shaolin monk. And uh, it's actually, you know, actually important to the plot that he, you know, meets Mei Ling and they kind of, 
figure out what's what's happening behind the scenes. So I I don't know. I I think it rings true. I don't I it, it's fine. I'm fine with it. But this takes us to our next scene where we see Han's men all training and this also has like some kind of like mix of stuff. You've got the kind of iron yeah. palm like uh in the hot ash and yeah, you've got hot hot rocks. <laughs> yeah, you've got the karate punches and actually you see Yumbu amongst the uh yeah practitioners which is really cool to and lam ching yeah, was... is like one of oh, the yeah, guys the leading the mm-hmm. the punches which is cool yeah all of the outdoor sequences are um at least to me what really stand out um, whenever I, mm-hmm. I think of enter the dragon i'm picturing like this kind of outdoor location and this is also the closest we're going to get for most of the movie of actually seeing like the tournament <laughs> Yeah, because right, as right. as as much as the tournament is like the the framing device, you don't. It's it's not really about the tournament. It's about like everything around it and and underneath it, literally. Um. But yeah, that's another another cool. It was it was funny seeing people in the crowd and thinking that guy looks familiar, and then <laughs> looking through the credits, I'm like, oh, that is that guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like like with you and Bu, there's a person where I was like. I think that's him, yeah. but I'm not 100%. And then to see that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's... I also love any any scene in Hong Kong films where there's a ton of extras. I know there's some people that are just, like, clowning around. And in this film, there's so many times where <laughs> when you're looking in the background, you'll just see dudes <laughs> laughing <laughs> or, like, mm-hmm. smiling and stuff. It's like, dude, yeah. you're an extra. Like, <laughs> tighten up. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But we get to see uh, Jim Kelly do some whoopings on Parsons. Yeah. And uh, yeah, his form, it, it's cool. He has a lot of style. Actually, similar energy to Bruce Lee. And actually, um, his stature, like his physical stature, he's almost as ripped as Bruce is in this movie. He looks yeah, really, right. really good. And he's kind of bouncing around like like Bruce does. Yeah. Kind of like that boxer kind of stature. And I like that he's kind of has this like you, you can tell that he's working with uh um he's working with Roper to kind of like he's like you can tell Roper's like betting and kind of like they giving got him nods for like what rounds to back down and stuff. And, yeah, yeah. They've got a hustle going on. That's yeah. it's really, really fun. So um then yeah, a Roper has to fight and um mm-hmm. He he actually fights Lao Wing, who we'd saw in The Big Boss and in uh, Fist of Fury. I think in all, actually, you know, he was in uh, Way of the Dragon as well. So um, he has a short fight against him and he's taking like falls. It's like, all right, you got to make sure you're, you know, at the right moment. Then you can, when we were going to make the most money, then you can take the win. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so after that, I think I mentioned this on a recording in one of our episodes, but we get to see this is the first movie that little Carlos saw boobs in. <laughs> and, uh, yes. Oh, wow. So we get the, the romantic scenes in Enter the Dragon. Yeah, yeah. Because whenever the earlier, whenever the um, Anna Capri is bringing the ladies to Roper, Roper chooses her instead of the, the ladies. <laughs> um and so we get to see them kind of which which is is kind of nice because i feel like that's the most age appropriate of, of anyone in this because there's a lot of very young <laughs> right, ladies right. uh yeah and yeah so you get some get some get some, some boobs. freaky action and, uh, and it is yeah. i mean it is a rated r um movie and so that's true and it's this and it's the, the 70s so you were allowed to show nudity right. in movies in the 70s yeah i mean i don't know my dad was like 
yeah, my dad wanted to show me this movie, and I mean, yeah. so I already had my dad's approval. I was like, all right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, we get the but, little short scene with uh, mm. Roper and Anna Capri, and then we get Williams with his little uh, group of women. And uh, actually some plot progression here. She, uh, he's making his way outside. And one of the ladies say, oh, you can't, you can't go out there. And he goes out anyways. And later on, we find out that that was probably a bad decision on his part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then Bruce, Bruce is, he has no time for sex because he <laughs> yeah. is, he has a, a, there's a running joke in the show BoJack Horseman where anytime they're breaking into stuff, Bojack has a bag that just says spy shit on it. Nice. I feel like Bruce Bruce Lee's bag here might as well say spy shit on it. <laughs> That's He's awesome. He's got like this 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 kind of cat suit, which like if it wasn't for <laughs> Game of Death, this would probably be the most iconic cat suit that he wears. Oh, sure. Um, oh, I'm sure you're right. Yeah. But but yeah, but it's uh he's got that, he's got like grappling hook and, and all that stuff, and he's gotta do some 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 sneaking around. There is some fun, yeah, there's goofy guards, like, wandering around. But um, when he does find, like, his little secret entrance, um, I don't know about you guys, but this totally reminded me of Link to the Past. Like, right at the beginning of Link oh, to the dude. Past, you know, you're getting to Hyrule Castle, you but you have to yeah. go around the side, and there's, like, a bush mm. that you have to chop out, and then it Into leads the to dungeon, yeah. the dungeon. And I'm like... Man, that's pretty similar. I don't know, guys. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. Like And it's also I mean, it's very like metal I mean, I obviously there's a character in this named Mei Ling. It's very Metal Gear Solid too. Yeah. With like the sneaking oh, right. around. The guards are kind of like walking in like paths that you can hide slightly behind. Like What was that noise? It's such a video gamey movie, despite you know, Pong barely existing at the time, you know? <laughs> yep. No, great call. Yeah, it's not just, like, fighting games that are drawing from Enter the Dragon. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost every kind of video game. Yep. And you also get to see a, a glimpse of this, basically, like, this huge, like, set that they made for this film. The, the yeah. cave kind of secret lair of Han is pretty cool if you think about, like, Golden Harvest. We were just talking about, you know, with the big boss, this is like a matter of a year or two. Golden Harvest just becoming this new studio, and now they've got the funds to make this huge, crazy cavernous set. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, and I don't know this for sure. I feel like they had to have been used. They had to have used the set in some other oh, movies we've talked yeah, about. Yeah, one hundred percent. It looks like a couple of different, like you know, secret underground drug ring kind of sets that we've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So he's he's almost caught, but he makes his break. And actually, yeah. William sees him kind of trailing off in the night. And the next day, uh, Han brings everybody together. And he basically makes an example out of the guards that failed to catch the intruder. And he's and the main guard. Yeah. Yeah. We, we get to see more recognizable faces. Uh, Mars is here. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's too bad. He's we don't like so baby face. Yep. I love it. And not, not only that, but uh, so Mars gets taken out. And uh, it's one of these movie things off screen. I stomp your head and there's a cracking noise. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like one of my pet peeves in movies when there's like a unnecessary bone crack just to let you know that somebody's dead. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. Like a neck snap <laughs> sound effect. Um, yeah. But also one of the other ones that I didn't recognize until we recorded the for this time was uh, Chung Fat. He's the last of the guards that gets killed. 
he basically gets cradled to death. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So oh, yeah. yeah, it's Chung Fat. Yeah, he looks super young, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's pretty cool. And I I cross referenced it, and he's listed in the credits. So mm-hmm. pretty awesome. Yeah, and yeah, that's it's funny you said that that about Mars because um, we was well, so one of the people we saw one of the times we saw Mars was in Come Drink with Me whenever he is literally yeah. a child, even more baby. Oh and, yeah, that's and, awesome. And but, but and that's not that long ago. <laughs> like Come Drink with Me <laughs> no, is like six, sixty six yeah. or whatever. So like Mars is kind of a child almost. I think he's like nineteen or something in this. So. Oh, that's amazing. But yeah, that's where we get to see Bolo in action um as the de facto executioner yeah and i mean okay if you're thinking about mortal Kombat, also you've got shang Tsung, the like head <sighs> villain who's basically yeah. like low pan and yeah. you have goro in mortal Kombat. so in this film we have bolo yeah. you know bolo goro is basically just bolo with forearms yeah and he serves the same purpose that could be a whole episode of just going through the cast of of yeah. uh, mortal Kombat and and just talk about what each of their influences are yeah and almost totally. all of them are from this movie yeah <laughs> um yeah so then this leads us to uh i mean i guess for, for me basically one of the most iconic scenes in the whole film um mm-hmm. you've got lee in the tournament now and of course his villain will be o'hara who yep. he has Bob like Wall. a personal motivation to get revenge and um this scene has so many iconic shots it's mm-hmm. it's ridiculous um o'hara Dude, that that little flashback is probably my favorite bit of filmmaking the first person yeah it's such a cool shot flashback of angela's character oh my gosh that's yep mm-hmm. and you get to see uh bruce basically without narrating to the audience showing you like his kind of attitudes towards martial arts too um You've got this kind of loose fighting style and you've got the speed of Bruce, which is unparalleled here. And there's some behind the scenes stories too. Um, Bob Wall, a very outspoken character. and But I do enjoy hearing him talk. Um, there's a moment where he breaks some bottles and strikes at Bruce and he actually cut Bruce pretty badly. Bruce had to get stitches. And there were some stories about Bruce wanting to kill Bob and um, <laughs> this and that. So it's it's funny. But... um. You see uh, O'Hara take this sidekick from Bruce and he gets launched into the crowd. And what Bob said is that when he flew into the crowd, one of the stuntmen got got hit so hard that he broke his arm. <laughs> oh, oh shit. Gosh. Second <laughs> degree. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, you could argue this is the origin of Guile's flash kick because mm-hmm. uh, uh, oh, yeah. Lee does a great flash kick here. Obviously, uh, Yun Wah is the man behind that flash kick. And it ends with the like probably the most famous close up of, of Bruce Lee where he like stomps on him and is screaming. Yeah. And like staring off into the distance and like gritting his 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 neck. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's one of the one of the most famous uh shots of him. Of in in a, in a you know films full of famous shots of Bruce Lee. Yep. Right. Um. I, there is a like some behind the scenes footage. Um. I believe Anna Capri. She was taking footage, and there is um. I think Henry Wong, who was uh a cinematographer on the film or camera operator he took footage so i don't know whose footage it was because i heard that henry wong's footage was lost but um 
amongst that behind the scenes footage, you see like that sidekick, but like without the slow motion and it looks terrifying. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So I think, yeah, no, that's, he's, he is so fast. Yeah. There was some like, emotion behind that sidekick too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because the, the first few hits in the fight are like literally like two frames of, of him punching. And it's just, he's just, he's just in a different position. It's crazy how fast he is. Right. Yeah. And we got to mention martial law and forest law from Tekken. Um, so many of these moves were just straight up from Tekken. I mean, well, they were from this movie, but they're in Tekken. Yeah, are, are, are straight up just used in Tekken. Yep the the flip kick, the the side skit that that side kick, uh, just the swagger, all of that stuff. Just and even mm. um, in Tekken, you can basically do like a ground attack on your opponent, which I think Virtual Fighter had first, but um, of course, uh, Martial Law has the same kind of jump, full jump, land on your opponent in the same way that Bruce mm. does to O'Hara here. So speaking of video gamey scenes, uh, this next scene is where uh, Han is accusing Williams of being the the guy that was sneaking out the previous night, and this is such like a he he confronts him, sends in some of his goons, and so you have to beat the goons uh, <laughs> real quick, and then he gets up from his desk and it turns into the boss fight, and he like hits the hits the bird cages so the birds are flying all around and then he gets kicked into like another room or the fight continues yeah. it is such a like feels like a blueprint for 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 like a beat em up stage yeah and those same kind of taunt worthy lines jim kelly's line delivery is so cool in this movie it is defeat that you must learn to prepare for I don't waste my time with it when it comes i won't even notice Oh, how so? I'll be too busy looking good. This, you come straight out of a comic book, stuff like that, like... Bullshit, Mr. Handman! Like, I love that, yeah. too. It's, like, <laughs> so fun. Um, yeah. But, unfortunately, this is uh, the demise of uh, Williams. Yeah. And, um, yeah, amongst the extras, I think you see Lam Ching Ying fly through a window. <laughs> and, um... Yeah. As uh, Sekin gets up, I don't think here, but as uh, the film progresses and you see more action from him, Lam Ching Ying is the double for uh, Sekin as Mr. Han. And there's some behind the scenes oh, cool. photos and footage of that too, which is pretty cool. Actually, Bruce Lee and Lam Ching Ying were pretty tight. And um, actually, I heard that. Somewhere. Yeah, they wow. they had like plans to do stuff. And actually, one of the things that I also heard was that. Um, uh in at the end of way of the dragon lam ching ying before uh o'hara uh, uh, well before bob wall and chuck norris um lam ching ying was going to be one of the final uh villains in the way of the dragon alongside chan sing who we saw in wow. the iron fisted monk and i just heard that recently it actually was on the kung fu genius podcast alex richter if you guys like bruce lee uh any listeners anybody um i would highly recommend checking out the kung fu genius podcast it's a weekly podcast and it's basically like a people just send this dude alex richter they send them questions and he's got an encyclopedic knowledge of bruce lee all of the like the, the nonsense and the weird stuff but also a lot of like the the true stuff too i think um when it comes to stuff like critical thinking and analysis and like 
kind of countering all the fan stuff of Bruce Lee, I think it's a really entertaining podcast. I'd recommend it. Yeah, totally. Hmm. So the next scene, Han solidifies himself as a Bond villain by carrying this cat around. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, right. He's, he's he's showing Roper to like this like museum of like all these like weapons, and we see. His, we built uh, this set, and then we also built yeah. this set. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I love anytime there's an animal, especially in a Hong Kong set, like, but a cat, like, you're just waiting for this cat to freak yeah, out. Like, oh, no. <laughs> well, there's that, it's too. Like, so is he a martial arts referee? It's like, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, yeah, he's, uh, he comes like this guillotine and basically says for Roper to put his head there, and Rober says, "Like I'm, I'm not gonna do that." And so he sets the the cat down there, and it's one of my favorite lines from Roper. He picks up the cat from the guillotine, um, sets him down, and says, "Now you've got eight more." Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> nice. But it turns out it's just an elevator to the uh, like the opium operation. And I love his like comedic lines in this scene too, because yeah, once Han pulls the lever for the guillotine, you find out it's like a an elevator that takes you down to the the evil lair and uh mm -hmm. he has a like a really funny line i forget what it was he's oh he's like faked out again and it just the way that he's like slowly lowering down and his delivery is really funny to me but yeah this is probably the section of the movie where if a friend just barged in was watching for 10 minutes and you told him like oh no no this is enter the dragon like the yeah. most famous bruce lee movie <laughs> you're like Nah, dude, this is some <laughs> TV show with some random white dude I don't know. Yeah, this yeah. is like a $6 million man or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he super does look like. The, yep. the pilot like that, that didn't get picked up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, it's like, having said all that, like, I do have a soft spot for all this, but it is it is really interesting. Um, mm -hmm. And I think kind of defies what, what folks might be expecting going into the movie. Yeah, because there's there's kind of the, there's the, I think the Bruce Lee movie in people's heads when they think of a Bruce Lee movie really is probably more like Fist of Fury than yeah, Enter the Dragon. Yeah, totally. Like where it's like almost like constantly the, the fighting and the, you know, running around and the violence and stuff. And this kind of stops to be a, a Bond villain where he's in or a Bond movie where Han is like basically saying, Hey, Roper, you I like I'm showing you all of this because I want you to like you know expand this into the u.s or whatever mm -hmm. and i guess to convince him he shows him williams's dead body hung up above like a, a pit of water yeah he's yeah. jacked up yeah not the smartest you have to expect some sharks to jump out or something i was 100 percent. <laughs> you, you could have told me that there was sharks and i would have completely believed you yeah and that like the villain would got would get eaten by the sharks at the end of the movie like if you had told me that, I would be like, oh, yeah, I remember that from Enter the Dragon. <laughs> well, next best thing, we've got some snake action. Just we have some snakes, yes. Isn't that crazy? I I mean, I remember this movie, and I've seen it a bunch of times, but I always forget, oh, yeah, Bruce Lee literally just grabs a cobra. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, this cobra is like, I don't know how they, they milk it or something. They devenom it somehow. Mm -hmm. But still, to to just grab a snake, <laughs> and not yeah. only a snake, but one of like the most, like, notable poisonous snakes that ain't that ain't easy and um there's a couple of stories too linda said that bruce got bit by this snake during filming and the other thing i saw was i think it was fred weintraub bruce knew that fred was afraid of snakes 
So a bunch of times he pranked him by throwing the snake at him. <laughs> <laughs> so messed up. Hilarious. Yeah. Prank. <laughs> yeah, pranks. It's yeah. <laughs> uh, funny. That's, we were talking about uh, non-fighting game influences. This feels like something from a LucasArts adventure game. Because he catches the snake and he puts it in a bag and then he needs to get past some guards. So then he uses the snake from the bag on the door and that scares off the guards like that. Dude, yeah. Total inventory puzzle. Yeah. That 100% feel like something for like Monkey Island or something. Uh, You're totally right. That's so great. So, um, yeah, that snake, he, he throws it in there and he accesses this uh, radio and Braithwaite originally was like, hey, if you find a radio on the island, you can contact us to and we'll send our, our men. And uh, once this happens, um, this also kind of triggers the alarm because the guards have to leap out. And uh, mm-hmm. now we're getting all the action of this finale of the film. The one yeah. thing I wanted to say really quick is that um, when Bruce sends that signal out, it's Paul Heller. The the producer is the guy on the other side in the in the movie, which is pretty funny. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yep. You know, it's re- um the I would say oh, you know most of the memorable Bruce action is kind of up to Bruce's standard and kind of his vision for mm-hmm. action cinema. But this kind of opening establishing shot where he's punching a lot of dudes, it's a very like Hollywood frame on him. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. It's like. It's in pretty close. Like I think it's an effective shot, but uh, it's clearly not very occupied with following the action, and it's not the kind of framing you see in any of any of Bruce's films yeah. elsewhere. And it's like really you, kind you, of interesting. Like, like yeah, Hollywood meeting Bruce, and mm-hmm. it it works on one level, and it it might also kind of like let down the action yeah. on another level. Yeah, because it's, uh, I didn't even think about it until you said that, but you only, you see them from the waist up in this scene. Yeah. And in almost every Kung Fu movie you ever see, it's always full body. You see their movement and around, and this is a lot tighter on them. Um, and of course, you, ages ago, Carlos, you said this is the, the Doki Doki Panic <laughs> trivia equivalent in <laughs> Kung Fu movies, but this is where you get, you can very clearly see uh, Jackie Chan. Um, yeah. grabbing him from behind yeah. <laughs> and then the, obviously it's you know it's everyone's seen it but i will we can still share the the video of jack chan talking about it because it is still a good video oh, oh it's adorable yeah mm-hmm. yeah and he's mentioned it a couple of times in different interviews but yeah yeah um right before jackie is yun wah he plays one of those guys too um mm-hmm. But um, yeah, you see Billy Chan, Peter Chan, all all these guys are all over the place. I mean, you you have so many guys coming at Bruce. Uh, he's got you know kind of a pool of stuntmen that he wants to do these scenes with. You're gonna see a lot of them over and over. And yeah, it, it's actually surprising we don't see Jackie more. I think um, we see him one, but you don't see his face, but you know it's him in the foreground of a shot. Um, but then, yeah, the fighting breaks out and it leads towards this, the area where you see these prisoners. And um, there's kind of a cool shot where um, Bruce fights one of the guys and all the prisoners go to grab the guy and he's like at their mercy. That's pretty cool. But um, yeah. the, the notable thing as this fight continues is, of course, we're going to get some nunchuck action. And um, yeah. yeah, so um, Billy Chan is actually, he rushes at him with nunchucks and then uh you you get this 
I mean, it's it's crazy. It's so cool just seeing Bruce, even if you've seen it over and over and over. It's just crazy seeing mm-hmm. him do his thing with the nunchucks. And actually, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about this. Like, why haven't we seen like the shot of Bruce doing that nunchuck demo cut in with Michelangelo doing the the nunchuck contest from the <laughs> oh, first Ninja Turtles? Like, it would be so well, easy to splice that together. Yeah. <laughs> That yeah, that could yeah. yeah. Keep your keep your eyes out, faithful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, 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 maybe could, that, maybe, maybe that coming to a Twitter future. post near you. Actually, it'll, it'll if I make that, it'll probably be before this episode comes out. But um, <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, of course it's it's funny because this is you know obviously this is where a lot of people know him, know Bruce Lee, and have seen like if someone's seen a Bruce Lee movie, they probably have seen this one. Um, but I feel like this isn't as a, a incredible it's a good nunchuck scene but it's not quite the the fist of fury yeah nunchuck scene mm-hmm. um but it's still good but yeah he, he gets he gets cornered and is and is uh that's another great shot where he gets caught in like these rooms and and has to uh like sits down on the ground and, and puts the nunchucks around his neck yep so yeah han captures him and then they get taken out to the courtyard and now he's gonna make roper and lee fight but roper refuses so then he brings in bolo to fight so now we have a fight between bolo and roper which is it's all right it's cool it's it's weird to me that you have like such a commanding figure like bolo Mm -hmm. and he doesn't really get to i mean be the major major villain you'd expect him to be and right. he, no that's such a good point yeah he gets taken out by like a actually similar to johnny cage and goro uh like a <laughs> nut punch is what takes him out <laughs> yeah well yeah first that bite and then yep yeah it's it's a little bit cheap actually the way i think yeah. that Rupert they takes him out they use the camera to make john saxon look more formidable than he is um yeah. there are I mean, when you see Roper and next to Bolo, um, they look pretty even in size, except for their muscle mass. Um, yeah, yeah, because Jonas Jackson's like a pretty tall guy. But yeah, so that's he's cool. got a good stature and like build and stuff. But yep. Bolo is like hilariously muscular. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's crazy. Bolo more like balloon. <laughs> <laughs> got him. Yeah, but uh, during this fracas. Um, I think that's the first time I ever used fracas on Heroes Three. But um, fracas, fracas is a good way to describe what happens because it just turns into like this huge brawl where yeah, people are yeah. just coming at them. Yep. And it's you know just punch after punch after kick. Mei Ling has like released all of the prisoners, and now you have a huge brawl between Han's men and the, the imprisoned uh, Chinese. Yeah. And actually, there's a funny story too that uh, Weintraub said where. Um, it was a day when uh, one of the production assistants, they had to get all of the white outfits clean. So they took them to the laundromat and they needed to film this big scene. So they had to run back to the laundromat, fetch all these outfits and put them on the extras. But they were all wet. <laughs> so oh, dude, <laughs> when wow. you see these guys what fighting each other, they're all wearing wet uniforms. <laughs> oh, I wonder if that's because like the uniforms get real dirty. I wonder if oh, yeah. like, the dirt stuck to it more. Yep. And you've oh, also man. got uh, Braithwaite who received the message from Lee, and they've got that's, their... That's a funny scene. Yeah, military. Yeah, like, this came in 30 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. My God, this came in half an hour ago. Why didn't I... Hello. Put your colonel on. Well, wake him up. <laughs> I, I wonder where this scene trope, that 
trope originates where you hear only one side of the conversation oh, and they yeah, say right. i don't care wake them up like this seems yeah. like an old old yeah like, this could be form an early influence. yeah yeah <laughs> um but anyways uh, now we're seeing all of this uh mayhem and uh amongst the fighting uh you see that lee and han are kind of inching closer towards each other and that leads yeah. to the the finale uh where uh they run back into han's mansion and you have this kind of iconic scene but i also do have to mention again like i said if you're looking at extras in the background especially during this sequence you're gonna see so many dudes smiling and laughing mm-hmm. yeah, right. <laughs> while they're fighting it's pretty fun well it's i mean it's kind of jaw-dropping how many extras are on screen especially by the time you have like yeah black versus the white outfits and um i've got to say i think robert klaus does a really great job with this the fracas, as you said. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I always think about when I see huge brawls like this. I always think about The Simpsons because there's so many moments in The Simpsons <laughs> where fights break out like this and they handle it so well, and it just reminds me of this stuff. Ooh, a redneck bar. <laughs> hey, you! Let's fight. Them's fighting words. <laughs> But now Bruce has to has to fight the final boss. Uh, Han enters the fray and he has like this this bear claw attachment for his hand. <laughs> yeah. Um that has the complete with fur, which is which is funny to me. Yeah, it kind of looks really... like a coconut to me. <laughs> it does. It kind of does, yeah. Coconut hand. But that gets it gets stuck in a table, and so he has to run inside the the final boss lair and, and grab his, his Vega claw. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um well, and, you know what's crazy? Because I, I, I looked up like, okay, when was Wolverine's first appearance in mm-hmm. the comics? And it's November '74. Oh snap! So. I love that. Huh. Yes. That is, yeah, man. that is a very distinct possibility because I am sure lots of those comic book guys oh, saw man. and had a huge because, like, oh, obviously, dude, totally. Shang-Chi There's some great martial arts action yeah. movie. It's like, oh, we got to, yeah. yeah, yeah. And Shang Chi is just post. I think Shang-Chi is post Enter the Dragon. I think it's like 74 also. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's some influence going on here. I like that. Oh yeah. Um I also wanted to mention that Sekin fighting against Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee 32 years old. Sekin is 60 at the time of the filming of this movie. Dude, that's amazing. Oh, yeah. He looks great. And he does I'm, look great. even though he's doubled uh for some shots, a lot of the action he's handling himself and he looks great. Yeah, super good. So they're in this like armory area and uh mm-hmm. yeah, you see them do a little back and forth and you get the iconic um look of Bruce Lee with these slash marks the on scratches. Him. Yeah, yeah. And, and tasting the blood. Mm-hmm. Get a good jump kick. Oh, a great uh, jump kick. Some oh, yeah, straight up totally. fist of the North Star like energy, yeah, you <laughs> right. know? Oh yeah. There's also a really great dummy kick where uh, yeah. he totally kicks a dummy i love that oh like, yeah that's a good one who wants to stand in for this um no <laughs> person on earth yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny because there's one there's one punch that i i realized it's a very like it's a very western brawl kind of punch where like he grabs him by the shoulders rears back and does a big punch at him like it's it's yeah. it's surprisingly slow for you know bruce lee to be the one uh doing it Right. You know, um, in Way of the Dragon, we were kind of talking about how um, it seems like if Bruce had his way, his character isn't really receiving many hits or many blows. Mm-hmm. And um, I I don't know, maybe I'm just 
over speculating, but my sense is like some of the Hollywood sensibilities here. It's like, that wouldn't really fly. Like we want to see. Um, and so I feel like we do see Bruce, um, more damaged, more hurt in this scene than maybe any, Mm -hmm. I don't know any of his other big fights, but it leads to such like iconic imagery. Mm. I mean, especially when it's like he gets scratched, you know, across the abs and then he like touches the blood and Mm -hmm. licks it. It's like, um, I don't know. It's, I, I like thinking of like that idea starting, you know, maybe with the screenwriter and then getting amplified by Bruce and yeah, yeah it's just classic stuff. Yeah, totally agree. And now it's like probably uh, in a scene in a movie full of iconic scenes, probably the most iconic scene. It's the hall of mirrors, which don't a hundred percent know why he has this in this villain lair, but whatever. <laughs> What I heard is from the production side, uh, Heller said that Fred Weintraub was out at like a hotel and they walked him and his wife walked past a like a boutique that had mirrors set up like this. And they're like, that's it, because they wanted like kind of to juice up the finale a little bit. And uh, they had that idea. But I I guess when they mentioned it to Bruce, he's like, that's going to be stupid. People are going to like laugh at me. But uh, once he saw it in production and thought, oh, yeah, this actually would work, then then they went for yeah. it. And it's I, I don't have a whole lot of filming experience, but I know filming in front of mirrors is very difficult. Yeah, because obviously yeah, the camera totally. is going to show up a bunch. So it's like a, a, I'm sure there's probably some cinema sins, whatever, where it's like, oh, you can see the camera. This I don't shot. I don't know. I haven't I haven't been able to notice it. Yeah. Watching it. So and in the behind the scenes footage that I saw, they had like a like a mirror like frame for the camera itself, too. So oh, gotcha. it's kind of like a frame for it. So it's masked really well. And I, yeah, I yeah. couldn't see anything myself. And the, the way that he he is able to figure this out is that he breaks the uh I think what's the line I wrote it down it's the enemy has only images and illusions behind which he hides his true motives destroy the image and you will break the enemy it's um, like so the he... voiceover from Roy Chow's uh, Abbott yeah. at the beginning yeah, of the film. yeah. and he uh, destroys like breaks all these mirrors so you can know uh, where Han is I got kicked out of so many fun houses for breaking all the mirrors because of this movie. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and then the way he, he finishes them off is because that he threw like a spear into the, the door that like spun around to reveal this room. And he gets Han gets thrown into the spear and is hanging from it. And there's the amazing shot where it's just him spinning around. Really cool. Dude, yeah, super so cool. good. Yeah, so that's it for Han. And then uh, at the same time, we've also got the uh, military arriving. So mm-hmm. um, Lee exits the mansion and he makes eye contact with Roper. And they give uh, each other a great thumbs up. And oh, yeah. yeah, classic. It zooms out to the coconut hand and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we get, the, we get to hear the theme again. And yeah, it's... Uh... It's it's Innards Dragon. What else can you say about it? It's beyond iconic. Yeah, uh, totally. It's definitely um okay, maybe one of the April Fools that maybe like Kung Fu Panda. But besides that, um this is probably the movie that the most people uh have seen yeah. um, that we've done on the podcast. Next to like maybe Kung Fu Hustle. Like this is like yeah, one of the biggest Crouching Tigers. Yeah. Something. Yeah. I mean just an absolute 
classic and it's mm-hmm. a movie that still continues to rank extremely high on any, you know, best of martial arts films or best of like action, you know, cinema of all time. And as we've been going through this like painfully short filmography for Bruce Lee, I mean, we just have to be so grateful for every film that was completed. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Hollywood working the way it does, you can only imagine um, what would have happened once these, you know, box office receipts came in. Um, mm-hmm. And so what would have originally been like the promise of like a whole new chapter ends up kind of functioning as, is sort of a last, a last word um, in Bruce cinema. And it's, yeah, iconic mm-hmm. as you said. And um, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's a treat <laughs> to go back and watch it with this. I don't know in this setting of like the arc. Cause mm-hmm. I, I honestly don't think I've really, watched Bruce's films in a marathon before. It's one of those things like I assumed that I had because you kind of group them that way yeah. in your mind. Um, but yeah, I'm noticing all kinds of things this time. And so, yeah, really appreciative of that. Yeah. It's definitely the most influential film that we've talked about. And I, yeah, I feel like it kind of, we, we, yeah, we talked about it. It, it, it doesn't feel, it feels big and also doesn't feel big. It it, yeah. it sits right in line with something that you could see on like a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon. And um, yeah, it, it just I feel like it's paced pretty well. The The plot is light enough. And I, I mean, it's really elevated by the person, this persona of Bruce Lee. And also, I mean, the 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 scoring Lalo Schifrin score really yeah, elevates the film. Absolutely. And um. I yeah I I feel like I've seen this movie a ton of times and I have appreciated it for uh, more than you know just it being a fun movie to check out for a long time. I actually got the chance to watch it in a packed theater. Uh, I don't know. It might have been like maybe like three years ago, four years Dude, ago. So cool. Yeah, and it was really exciting to see that and feel that energy. Yeah, I I I hold it pretty highly. I I I see it's flaws too but uh really you can't you can't discredit it because it's just so influential and yeah you can't help but think about what could have been and um yeah i don't think we're gonna get too far into bruce lee's death uh on this episode we will probably talk about it more next episode but uh yeah enter the dragon uh if you haven't seen it which i if you're listening to this podcast i highly doubt you should definitely check it out (laughs) Yeah, for real. But yeah, that's Center of the Dragon, 1973. And yeah, we would, I think, in a in a, in a normal episode, this would be where we talk about like extra behind-the-scenes stuff, but we're not going to do that because we have more episodes because yeah. uh, just like, I think, appropriately enough for Bruce Lee, uh, he did die not long before this movie came out, but that didn't stop movies coming out. So yeah, yeah totally. So it's not going to stop our arc. So... Um, yeah, and so, like yeah. a lot of legends, there's like significant, you know, posthumous work, mm-hmm. and we haven't really tackled something like that before. It's going to be, I think, super mm. interesting. Very weird. Um, before we get into that, thank you so much for checking out our show. If you liked it, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, stuff like that. If you want to send us a message or anything like that, you can email us at heroes3podcast at gmail.com. Shout out to Andrew, who sent us a very, very sweet email um, talking about 
uh, movies and his background with Hong Kong movies and stuff. That was very sweet, and we definitely appreciate it. Super awesome, dude. Thank you so much. And then you can check us out on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Heroes the Number 3 Podcast on all three of them. Uh, so, like I said, we are not done yet. Um, we actually have two more Bruce Lee episodes <laughs> related and in the works. So um, I guess, Marty, uh, you take us out. What's our training for next week? So we are going to be tackling the legendary, and as we said, posthumous Game of Death. Um, a lot to talk about. We have iconic costumes, an iconic concept, amazing fighting cameos, more than one version of a movie, and much more. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's going to be great. Well, until next week, where we're taking a look at Game of Death, I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Remember your training. Heroes 3 is part of the Mercado Brothers Podcast Network.